0: devoted to the works of Appendix M. Here we open the library doors of the Sanctum Secorum. Welcome to the Sanctum Scorum Reading Room. Whether you are new to the literary world of Appendix N, a diehard fan of the genre, or even just tuning in to see how certain titles tie in to a particular set of role-playing games, we invite you to join us as we dive into the history and influences of Appendix N. We'd like to open our library to you and inspire readers to explore these new worlds. I am one of your hosts, Keeper Bob, and our other Keeper of Mysteries this evening is, of course, Keeper Jen.
1: Good evening.
0: How you doing tonight, Jen?
1: I am... Functioning? Question mark? Um, it, it's been a really long day, but this, uh, this show is pretty much what's kept me going. Just wanted to remind the folks out there watching us tonight that we have the channel points that you can redeem for you know, weird trivia facts, or you can make Bob sing a song or something. I don't know. Oh, 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 no, wait a minute. I don't know.
0: (laughs) i make you sing a song. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, yay. If you're going to do that. Uh, Well, to let folks know, tonight we are voyaging into a tale praised by H.P. Lovecraft, the old man of Providence himself. We are, of course, talking about the house on the borderland.
1: From 1908.
0: Yep, by William Hope Hodgson. Why don't you tell us about it, Jen?
1: (laughs) This is perhaps the greatest of all Mr. Hodgson's works. It tells of a lonely and evilly regarded house in Ireland, which forms a focus... For hideous otherworld forces and sustains a siege by blasphemous hybrid anomalies from a hidden abyss below. The wanderings of the narrator's spirit through limitless light years of cosmic space and Kalpas of eternity, and its witnessing of the solar system's final destruction, constitute something almost unique in standard literature and everywhere there is manifest the author's power to suggest vague, ambushed horrors in natural scenery. But for a few touches of commonplace sentimentality, this book would be a classic of the first water. And that, of course, is the quote and write-up given to it by Mr. Lovecraft. And I hate you all for including the word kalpas. K-A-L-P-A-S. What?!
0: so so Kalpas <laughs> is it is a time period in both uh, it appears in both the hindu and buddhist faiths mm-hmm. and it uh it refers to a, a duration of time a complete cosmic cycle from the origination to the destruction of a world system so yes sure. it covers, <laughs> covers quite a bit of space speaking of quite a bit of space let's start with william hope hodgson himself Born 15 November 1877, died either the 17th or 19th of April 1918.
1: Gotta love military records.
0: (laughs) He was the son of Reverend Samuel Hodgson, who was an Anglican priest, and Lizzie Sarah Brown, second of 12 children. Reverend Hodgson served in many parishes, including um, Adrahan, County Galway, Ireland, which serves as the setting for the house on the borderland.
1: That's what it is. Okay. Mm
0: -hmm. He attempted to run off to sea at the age of 13. And the next year in 1891, he apprenticed as a cabin boy with his father's consent. And he served a four-year apprenticeship and then two years of training and got his master's certificate. He was an honest-to-goodness sailor.
1: Unfortunately, while he was at sea, his father passed away. So he came home to support uh, both his mother and his sister. And it's suspected uh, with a lack of a whole lot of materials to do a bibliography on him, or a biography rather, uh, it's suspected that that's when he turned to writing as a method to support his
0: family. Well, and and while he was a sailor, let's, let's not forget his first, for example, his first writings were nonfiction. They were, they were on the subject of fitness and essentially because he was short, slight and fair of face, he was often uh, targeted uh, for bullying by older sailors and he pursued fitness as sort of a form of self-defense and the quote, and I love the quote, the primary motivation of his body development was not health, but self-defense his relatively short height and sensitive, almost beautiful face made him an irresistible target for bullying seamen. When they moved in to pulverize him, they would learn too late that they had come to grips with easily one of the most powerful men, pound for pound, in all England. And I mean, this in 1898, he was awarded a uh, a medal for heroism. A sailor had fallen from the topmast into shark-infested waters off the coast of New Zealand, and he simply dove in and saved him. So this is an author who literally dove into shark-infested waters to save mm-hmm. someone else's life.
1: Well, and, and it's important to note that the writings that he was doing, like the the health and, and quote-unquote physical culture, uh, it was equivalent to the modern bodybuilding magazines.
0: Oh, indeed. I mean, we're talking—we're talking like even pre-Charles Atlas days, but but still that sort of thing, right? Ye <laughs> yes. old large dummy bells. Um, in, in 1902, he appeared on stage with Houdini, handcuffing him and chaining him so soundly that Houdini later claimed that Hodgson had injured him and had deliberately jammed the locks. Um, hodgson was known for providing physical training to the local police department and obviously was on their side when houdini came to humiliate them
1: okay that's that's really interesting so he may have uh picked up a little bit of that bullying tendency perhaps
0: well or just didn't want to see his friends belittled um
1: that's fair that's fair um i i did catch something in some writings from his siblings that they always remembered William as reading when he was a child which was really interesting to me because he wasn't part of high society or a, what we would call a literary family um but man he uh he wrote the see i I'm, I'm, I'm torn here bob because we did the house on the borderland mhm why did we not go with something like The Ghost Pirates? <laughs> he is most known for his sea horror, his adventures at sea. And, he, is, and he
0: is certainly well known for that subject, but The House on the Borderland is considered one of his best works.
1: And to that point, it is speculated that the publication order of his novels, this being his second it's thought that they were published in reverse order of his writing. So while this was done in 1908, uh, yeah, it could have actually been written really close to that date with his later works, like The Nightland, which was his first major novel work. Uh, That would have put that written closer to 1903 than the publication date 20 years later.
0: But well, to call the Nightland a major novel is is an understatement. It was two hundred thousand words. It is I said major. Immense. <laughs> it is. It is preponderant. Um, I mean, the abridgment of it is twenty thousand words, and that's
1: that's a good size novel.
0: That's that's well, a, a good size, you know, novel or novella.
1: Novella, yeah. Uh,
0: and it's kind of hard to tell how long he was actually writing versus when he was published. Uh, his earliest dated published piece was nonfiction, Health from Scientific Exercise in mm-hmm. 1903. And his fiction appeared in 1904. But some of his his later works, like uh, the last of his works to see print, were unpublished poems, and they appeared in 2005. So there was this huge right. body of work when he passed away, and his literary estate has worked to, to keep him in print. Um, the best-known edition of house on the borderland is from arkham house which was all about keeping people in print
1: makes perfect Uh, sense um one of the other new newer publications was a captain galt story that hadn't seen the light of day um and that was published within terrors of the sea back in 1996 so that was kind of fun and i i wouldn't mind reading the captain galt stories or the uh you know the sea based stuff but he also created Carnacki, Carn- Carnacki. Sorry, the Ghost
0: Finder, he which did. was
1: very Sherlockian in nature.
0: And and despite his despite his career as a sailor, when World War One rolled around, there was no way he was going back to sea. And he was commissioned as a lieutenant in the Royal Artillery. Okay, he was killed by the direct impact of an artillery shell. At the Fourth Battle of uh, Ypres. Ypres? Ypres? In April 1918. So just think about that for a minute. He took a direct artillery hit. So it might be that he was killed on the 17th and parts were still raining down until the 19th. I mean, that's... you. <laughs> well, you know, that's... He went that's like lore, he wanted to, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Horribly.
1: Yeah. And that was 1918, you said? He had only been married for five years. And that puts him at dying around age 39 or 40. Getting married at 35 years old back then, that was incredibly late. Yeah. And it's, I was doing a, a bit of studying on uh, the themes in his writings throughout his career. And his attitude towards women in his stories, at first it was, oh, they need love, they need protection, and they were more damsel in distress types. Later in his publications, I should say, maybe not later in his writings, but through the years, they made a tangible shift to, oh, they're wily, they're treacherous, they're deceitful. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well
1: so it makes me wonder if that has something to do with the um not getting married till he was 35
0: or yeah yeah no that is that is uh that's fair yeah. <laughs> that is that is just fair.
1: just gonna put that out there
0: so let's let's talk then about this book i mean this is the first piece by hodgson i ever read it is still by far and away my favorite i i love this book it is
1: indeed the only piece of his I have read so far. I'm I'm not sure that it's my favorite piece, but I can appreciate it for what it is, right? Hey, Which is highly out, influential. It is the
0: only piece by him you've read, it is both your favorite and least favorite piece. It is Schrodinger's uh, William Hope Hodgson story. <laughs> Right. But I mean, this is (laughs) okay. so I
1: I feel like I need to read more from him before I can claim him as like a favorite author. Is that fair?
0: That's fair. But I mean, this is a story that was cited by Terry Pratchett as the big bang theory in his private universe as science fiction and fantasy reader and later writer. Um, He was he was a known influence to people like Clark Ashton Smith. And I mean. Clark Ashton Smith. Right. I mean, that's really all that needs to be said there. Um, so
1: Lovecraft didn't see him as an influence. I, I totally Lovecraft, would have thought.
0: So so certainly like the sense of cosmic horror in this story um, kind of paves the way for Lovecraft. But Lovecraft hadn't read him until 1934, three years before he died. Lovecraft was already well and established before he'd ever found and read Hodgson. Um,
1: Interesting
0: which is which is kind of interesting when you look at the more cosmic sections of this story yeah, and that the red the right? circle circle the sun, that is very, very reminiscent to me at least of Azathoth at the center of the universe, uh, feeling very, very lovecraftian, but not really an influence so much as as appreciated by Lovecraft. Okay.
1: Um, now, I I will say that the first few happenings that we got into seemed almost episodic, and and I was I was cool with that. When we got to the cosmic horror stuff, I'm just eh, that that's a little tougher for me to follow because it's less tangible. I guess is is the best way to put it. I don't have that frame of reference, so I become detached. And I no longer cared about any of the characters except for Pepper the dog.
0: <laughs> well, before we before we leap to the mid and end game of the story, um, yeah, I mean this was this was adapted by DC Vertical Comics in 2000, although mm-hmm. they wrote their own ending for it. The BBC did a four part serial of it in 2007, and it was released as a solitaire board game in 2020 in an issue of Lurker magazine. And now I what? really need to hunt that down. What? <laughs> yes, solo oh, board game. Uh, there's hey, also Christmas a Christmas
1: list for everybody. Yep,
0: there's also a doom metal band called Electric Wizard. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, they released a song of the same name inspired by The House on the Borderland. And it is like 11 minutes of weird, freaky doom music that is just fantastic. uh They're out of, I want to say, Plymouth in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. got a link here i'll drop it into uh, into chat so folks can check them out but very very cool it was released as a as a single with another band um and then you're right we get to kind of the episodes and those early episodes with the swine things and it is capital s swine or you know the things there's a lot of interesting use of capitalization to stress various points and they turn out to be really chilling and sinister on the page, whereas when things like that are normally adapted for like television or movies, they 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 lose a lot. They look kind of ridiculous, right? Pig people running around just look yeah. kind of stupid. But the the narrator, the the recluse, um, his sense of dread and revulsion truly enhanced everything uh, for me. The the whole buildup of seeing the eyes glistening or seeing the pale skin as they looked in through the window. And let's it, that's creepy too, right? Peeping Tom <laughs> monsters coming around your house in the dead of night, trying the doors home invasion by monster.
1: Right, right. Um, the, just like with a lot of horror stories or, or mysteries, I found myself, come on, why aren't you looking at this yet? Why? Why is it taking so long to circle back over to the cellar? Come on! And then it was kind of anticlimactic when he did because, is I mean, the whole cosmic thing came up the night he was reading the Bible, right? And but but let, but let, let, let's not get into but
0: um, but, but yeah, but he, the Bible <laughs> wasn't really anticlimactic, right? I mean, he went down there. Yeah. And he searched it once, and it was okay. And then he went down again, and he found this gaping trapdoor. I mean, he did everything that you would hope an intelligent person would do in a horror story. Um, in some ways, it reminded me of Phantasm, in that the characters in Phantasm aren't idiots waiting to die. And so, you know, he's he's nailing things shut. He's bracing doors. He's making sure everything is locked. But there is kind of a question that runs in my mind through the entirety of the story from the very beginning to its trippy, trippy, mid, mid and end points. And that is, is this really happening? I mean, this is a, a man in his, his late forties, early fifties living with his elderly sister. And there's a dreamlike quality to so many things that he calls a visions. And then he sees people mm. that aren't there is this really happening, or are there just some weird vapors rising up from this well beneath the house, this cursed house that is possessed, according to the locals, possessed by the fairies?
1: Um, That that just sparked a really interesting brain weasel of my own, Bob. Was Pepper ever really there?
0: Oh, God. When, um, when the
1: dog accompanied him down into the pit, and he relied on the dog's reaction for, you know, should I be alerted? Should I be scared? Oh, the dog's fine, so I should be too. Um, considering what happens to poor Pepper throughout the course of this, um, I now that you have put that little thread of doubt in my mind, I might appreciate this story a little bit more yeah, because I mean- it could. It totally reeks of of fairy fantasy, and the the cosmic stuff is just a a bad trip, really.
0: (laughs) Well, and let's say it's been it's been in print for 114 years, so Spoilers. spoilers. Yeah, okay. Spoilers are we're a little late for spoilers, but we can we can say without without giving too much away that if you're an animal in this book, it ends poorly.
1: No, whatever the, whatever power is at play here it really does not like animals, especially those on four feet. Um, yes,
0: I mean the, the, there, there's a cat gets yeah. incinerated. There's pepper. Pepper falls to ash and, and and dust. And so, yes, did Pepper really go down into that into that cavern with him, and perhaps was overwhelmed or drowned? I mean, they, they were in a tunnel that flooded. It knocked him off his feet, and yet somehow pepper was able to to pull him out and get out there's there's really a fantastical quality that that leaves me thinking that this is definitely um an unreliable Hmm. narrator and uh
1: unreliable is a good word no unreliable is too polite um but Speaking of narrators, the whole thing is introduced to us by a different narrator, right? They find these writings. And, I mean, I, I will say that the old style writing, it it was so much more accessible to me than, say, some of the Vancey and stuff. Although there were some made up uh, verb transitions in there. The rest of it was just slightly archaic. Regular language
0: and those might have been archaic verb transitions.
1: Uh, yeah, right. I I don't have the OED handy at my fingertips right now, but <laughs> uh, they're they're just slightly less common than what we would know right now in in the twenty twenties. Right. Um, the punctuation use was also entertaining.
0: Wow, there was a sentence with five commas and a semicolon. Two. Two semicolons? Uh, not in the sense I was thinking. It was one semicolon.
1: Oh um, no, I was thinking of the other book that was part of that story, or the other story yeah, see, part, uh, part of that don't collection. Don't, don't okay, even sorry. get
0: into that. Um, <laughs> but, but I was just it, taking a sampling. He, he says, it's a lot of Schatner commas. He he does. As a matter of fact, um, reading this, I read this, <laughs> and so. The the commas really do set the tone for for the emphasis of of various things and pauses. And so it certainly reads like it is read aloud. Although sometimes you even have to drop some of the commas because you're like, and and then like, you know, maybe, maybe I could maybe I could say two words at a time. Um <laughs> so so there there was that but it is certainly it is a wonderful story for reading aloud because the way it is written really focuses the uh the narration in that fashion Um,
1: it has indeed been an entertaining weekend with that
0: yeah and it's it's not Um, too terribly long we're talking 100 pages it's it's not bad for reading aloud.
1: uh, but no the besides the punctuation use um the other entertaining part for me and i'm using that word a lot because i'm tired i apologize my my internal thesaurus is kind of wiped out uh the person who finds these writings inserts some editorial comments throughout and oh, one of the publications that we came across had omitted these and threw them in as, like, footnotes or afterthoughts at the very end of the entire book because they thought they were actually editorial comments from the, like, original editors back in 08, 1908.
0: They only put in numbered footnotes with no corresponding information. It was just one. Oh, God, that's great. Nothing.
1: Yeah. um, Oh, so that was. Some of these small uh, presses are a little dubious on that. Make sure you're not getting something that's abridged. Make sure you're getting the full printing.
0: This is is what happens with with things that are in the the public domain. Um,
1: That is true. Public domain is is so. mm, Love hate relationship.
0: And as for your personal thesaurus, I lost counts how many times something happened suddenly. It's over and over and over again there were there were certain there were certain things that he would you, suddenly this happened and then a chapter later suddenly this happened three paragraphs later suddenly this happened um so
1: you know i yeah. honestly didn't notice that because there were so many paragraphs full of other descriptions and again the the cosmic horror those those descriptions of all of the visuals. I think this is something that would translate well to film because I would like to have a better frame of reference for it besides just the color out of space.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, this would it, translated to film. This would certainly be, uh, the visuals would be akin to something out of Dr. Strange. Right. I mean, we are talking about a man who, watches the sun rise and set faster and faster and faster until it is a flaming comet crossing the sky and the stars are moving so much. They are threads of light and the world becomes permanent twilight. He watches the world crumble away over millions of years. This is where we get into the, did this really happen or is he just stoned out of his mind? Um, what
1: was he drinking while reading the Bible late at night?
0: Well, and, and- <laughs> and there, are, there are several occasions of this, right? There is the, the yeah. first vision where he is transported across the void through space and time and sees a, a replica or another version of the house. Yet it is massive and made out of some strange green stone with large, gigantic gods looming over it. And it isn't until the end of the story that he realizes that the attacks that he has been suffering on the house are mere um, echoes of the attacks on the greater structure at the center of the universe, at this sea of the sea of sleep, I think he called it.
1: Yeah, and that's where you lose me. I mean, I, I enjoy after the fact did this really happen go outside and look there's claw and teeth marks on the door jam outside i i i need that that to sink my my teeth into to sink my brain into it otherwise the disbelief just overpowers everything
0: well and that's and that's the thing i mean it's why i, I feel he's unreliable but not necessarily um lying he is he is in so many respects he is exactly what you would want in this situation what there's something attacking the house right then i've got guns i'm gonna go up on the roof and shoot them and and he does he does everything that
1: he bar the doors and
0: yeah but then but then you have the way his sister is is reacting and the way she seems more afraid of him than anything going on around the house because she doesn't even seem to notice these things are happening. But she is afraid of him to the point where he needs to lock her in her room because she tried to flee the house which to him was, don't unlock the door and let the monsters in but to her may very well have been I'm already in with a monster.
1: Oh. Yeah. And she did take care of the dog when it got scratched
0: the the second dog the dog they never named yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> it was so important it didn't get a name even the cat got a name and it was only there for half a scene
0: yeah the, the cat but... <laughs> we were introduced to the cat half a page later the cat was dead so yeah um
1: yeah it, it's a little bit yeah i like i said it's hard to to really sink my brain into it with a feeling of I want to be on any side. You know, I want to root for a side um, really killing off the last of the animals. And then this guy is still kind of in his own little world. I'm not buying that. I will buy that. He is in an altered state and his sister is worried about him. And again, did pepper, was pepper actually there.
0: Well, and then, and then we have, you know, the, the other dog gets this weird fungal growth infection that is spreading him. Mm-hmm. And, and by the end, as the infection is now spread up his arm and is encroaching on his face, as he is begging forgiveness from God because he is going to kill himself only to say, say, you know, spare himself this final blasphemous pain. Uh, you know after after reading the bible and he's he's to that point and then there is more and it it just it's so suddenly hard. there
1: is more right but
0: but the story <laughs> the story sort of ebbs and flows and so despite the unreality of the situations the story itself feels real especially the first half where he's like something's attacked the house now I've I've protected the house. I'm going to slowly go searching after I've gathered my courage over a few days. I don't see anything any creep further those out.
1: moments of real life I can I can dig. the dreamlike states are where you kind of lose me.
0: Well, I mean I mean it really had sort of a dizzying use, right? Of of the solar system.
1: Effective. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and the green star that is at the center of the universe. And and the whole thing serves to give it this sense of isolation and loneliness. As if if we take if we take him at his word that that he has is had this vision of, of losing his body and traveling millions of years in the future as this incorporeal spirit that is watching the planets collide with the sun and explode and then traveling beyond to the very center of the universe. And then he sees the faces in the red orbs. And then he sees the face of his love. And there, there is the sentimentality that, that Lovecraft was talking about. I mean, I, that could, was, I
1: could see this translating the part, to the, to the graphic novel pretty well too. Well, because I, I, it, it does seem kind of uh interspatial that you know dc can handle that right um but so many of these scenes and sequences i mean I, i can see where there are clearly inspirations for later authors and including some we've even covered earlier this year throughout the show uh there's aspects from it in the citadel of fear which was 1918 so that was you know kind of a recent uh inspiration for him uh, there was that story from the liber collection diary in the snow that we both really dug oh, yeah that had so much of this okay we're isolated and weird things are happening at night
0: and talk about snow there's a portion <laughs> in the story where the editor's like, yeah, so based on what he's saying, that's not really snow. The atmosphere is frozen and fallen to the ground. I'm not sure how he's hearing anything, though, because without any atmosphere, there's nothing to carry sound, but we're just going to go with that. Uh, and just the, the yeah. romantic portion of it, though, right? He, he, The love of his life refused to move with him to this, this house, you know, this this remote, isolated house. And so he's like, well... If I moved someplace else, would you come? And she never answers, but hmm, she comes to him twice in the sea of dreams. Once millions of years later. And again, this gets to maybe not a healthy relationship, maybe not a healthy mind.
1: I, um, with him, with him having the character, (laughs) the author, sir,
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, was, I was thinking the, the character uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, he, the, the, the narrator is millions of years in the future, millions, if not billions of years in the future. He is, he is just a floating spirit and yet she comes to him and he can't explain why. And he even questions that. Why is, why is she here? How am I seeing her? Why does she have a body when I don't, how is this possible? And then, the green sun is eclipsed, and she vanishes, and that is the last time he sees her. There's there's so many weird uh, moments. It is very, mm-hmm. it is very sixty psychedelia. Really, I mean, this is th- before this, its it, time. Yeah, this is this is something with like lava lamps on the screen moving. It is
1: thank you, <laughs> is, uh,
0: definitely odd in that fashion. It, it and, is
1: it is a bad trip
0: well and and the surreality of it really does plant that that seed of doubt whether it is real or imaginings but when you get to the the initial narrator the the fisherman the the guys on vacation who just went fishing and found this book they are convinced that the story is true and then when they ask at the village and they're getting information well there was this weird guy Mm-hmm. And he lived with his elderly sister, and he never came to town, and someone made deliveries and brought him supplies once a month. And then once he went out, and the entire house was gone. It had collapsed into this void beneath, and now there is just a lake. And it,
1: it, See, it, he lived with his sister, no mention of a dog.
0: Fair. <laughs> um, he also came by mule train, so let's let's keep that in mind. But in some ways, that... The the decrepitness and the fall of the house to me echoes um the house of Usher, right? The fall of the House of Usher with this huge, immense old family home, this this manse that is old beyond reckoning, that finally just Collapses into pieces and is utterly destroyed. And At times
1: like this, I wish we were actually doing the Sanctus Corum show where we dig into the DCC stuff because oh, I have so many thoughts.
0: Well, yes, yeah, so there's there's many things there's many things that could be stated, and, and one of our what so are our many... comment that you know swine things will probably be making an appearance. <laughs>
1: yeah, but um, so many existing adventures that I feel have already used this as inspiration and it's a tangible connection there uh which uh which setting in this story was your favorite well I mean, did, or or I should say which which scene perhaps
0: well setting setting wise I preferred I preferred the pieces at the house the the more grounded horror to the the cosmic emptiness while while that portion is is interesting to me the the more horrific aspect is the things as they're trying to get in or the swine thing god that is controlling him and making him unlock the door slowly this this massive door that he has barred yeah. with three bolts and then he hears the sound and he looks down and without realizing it he is using his foot open the bolt at the base of the door those moments that that utter horror of being controlled and inevitably moving towards your doom really really resonate and yeah i mean that's 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 the good stuff right there
1: exactly that i can get behind um so my last question for you bob is there a William Hope Hodgson story that you would now like to read on your own after this?
0: Well, I mean, I've I've read most of them, I suppose. I haven't read *The Nightland*, although we have a copy, um, and so I might, I might finally, pages? I might. Well, I, <laughs> or I read Words, not
1: pages. Oh, wow! No, it
0: is not two hundred thousand pages. <laughs> uh, is, yep. I mean, that would be that yeah. would be twice as long as as the internal revenue code um or the regs rather but, yeah. uh, no i think but the nightland is considered his other great work and maybe maybe it's time that that i finally take the plunge and read that or or perhaps i could i could dive back into the Carnegie stories which are fun um Maybe even his poetry. I've never read any of his poetry. And as he was inspirational to Clark Ashton Smith, perhaps there is something to his poetry as well.
1: Well, I will I will pose this question to our listeners and our viewers as well. I'll post a link in here to the full uh list of works by Hodgson. Um I think I would go with um you know, i wouldn't mind getting into karnacki because i'm all about the sherlockian stuff uh, but i'm really interested in something like the derelict or the island of the crossbones uh, the short stories are usually more punchy for me too well
0: that's that's fair that is that is truly fair um and his short stories are solid i mean if you look at if you look at the early portions of this book, if you just take like up to the raid on the house by the swine things and... It's
1: episodic, yeah. And
0: afterwards, that is that that could certainly be punchy as a short story in and of itself. Sure.
1: Honestly, I think I would have preferred it, uh, yeah, w- without all of the... the cosmic parts to it It that really pulled me out of the whole story.
0: But that is that is sort of the main thrust the story, I, I, right? know, I, mean, that, I know, I know Big things as <laughs> revealed are part of a greater cosmic whole yeah. that is attacking this house elsewhere and that this house is not merely a house but a reflection of something greater uh, it, it really is I, I can see why could love. been accomplished in
1: this. fewer words though Well
0: Yes, I mean the the, the chapters. I, I think, I think there were like eight or nine chapters in a row of "I am everything, I see everything." So I do get that 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 uh, could have perhaps yeah. benefited yeah. from a little bit of brevity, but an but editor, overall, yes. <laughs> but overall, still, still my favorite work by Hodgson.
1: Well, uh, speaking of uh, more books. Oh, yeah. uh, tonight we are announcing the winner of last month's uh, second giveaway which was a copy of Jack of Shadows by Roger Zelazny and the lucky winner of this one is going to be Chris Zank awesome uh Chris will email you shortly to get details and mail your prize out to you and you join the the wonderful ranks of winners of special stuff um and i i believe it is time once again to announce our next pair of giveaways one for the live audience and the other for all of our viewers and listeners and elena are you ready for us It is time to enter the Sanctum Secorbs' very own. I love it. (laughs) Um, Now, as a reminder, everyone watching the show live is eligible for both of the live giveaway and our monthly drawing. Tonight's first prize is a copy of, you guessed it, The House on the Borderland.
0: With weird footnotes.
1: And, and and it's been lovingly read. Yes. Uh, the copy goes to the live viewer who can correctly guess the answer to this question. Take it away, Bob.
0: Which of the following is the title of one of Hodgson's Carnacki, The Ghostfinder stories? Ooh. A, The House in the Nightland. B, The Whistling Room. C, Mycroft and Moran. D, the thing in the weeds. Ooh. So that mm. is out there to our viewers. A, B, C, or D. Let's see if we let, let's see if, if anyone has survived the cosmic horror that was right. ripping through the universe. <laughs> and while while folks are thinking of that, again, the title of one of Hodgson's Karnaki the Ghostfinder stories. As, we, as, as they ponder that, if you are watching the show and didn't win our live trivia question, or you are listening to a replay in the lead up to our next episode, you can enter to win our monthly drawing simply by dropping an email to the hub at sanctum.media with your name. Entry should have the subject line, prize closet of mystery. And this month's drawing prize is a copy of Robin Wayne Bailey's Swords Against the Shadowland, which was licensed Ooh. as Book Eight in the Fawford and Grey Mouse stories. So I'm seeing a lot of people that probably already have their own copies of The House on the Borderland. But
1: that is true.
0: So I'm, I'm going to say going I'm going to give it a going, going, gone, and then we will extend it to a double drawing.
1: Ooh, I like that.
0: so last chance for the live listeners. Was it the house in the nightland, the whistling room, Mycroft and Moran, or the thing in the weeds?
1: Keeping in mind it's a Sherlockian tale.
0: Yeah, you know, so it it is going once. And going twice, and we have stumped the live audience, and we will be putting the book in as part of our drawing. The answer, by the way, was the Whistling Room. Mycraft and Moran was an imprint of Arkham House that published a collection of Carnacki stories, and mm-hmm. the thing in the leaves is a Sargasso Sea story, and the House in the Nightland was me just throwing together two different book titles. Although there's a lot of wow. house. Titled stories.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there are.
0: So since well, we stumped the audience there, why yeah. don't we talk about what we should read for next month?
1: Ooh, we should have the poll thingy, right?
0: Well, we, we announce we read them first, oh, and then yeah. a poll, okay. so otherwise we blink. I it.
1: get excited. I get excited. Don't blame me.
0: Next month for December, it is truly a meritocracy. No, a no, meritocracy. Yes,
1: you you, you don't get that. Our, no, see, we were going to do like something horror based, like little ghost stories for Christmas or something. But there's not really anything accessible to everybody, and and I I didn't want a bunch of well, we didn't want a bunch of stories that were written by various authors that just confuses everything. So I've I've been chomping at the bit to do more merit so yeah we're going with merit
0: a merit yes so we have we have four different merit stories to choose from there is dwellers in the mirage Mm. burn which burn the face in the abyss and the ship of ishtar those are our choices for the poll this evening all
1: of them fairly uh, easy to get your hands on if all
0: nag-bated. of them are available for free online through Gurt- through Project Gutenberg.
1: Oh, even better.
0: So anybody, Ooh. anybody can get them. anybody can read them.
1: Mm, and don't forget those channel points. You can use them to wait weigh-, weigh your votes or you know, you can still poke Bob for random facts.
0: And right right now, oh right now it looks like we're gonna be reading burn Witch burn it's
1: neck and neck
0: 32. just about
1: halfway there
0: oh and okay a, a random fact a random fact okay um <laughs> all right here's a random fact about Abraham Merritt. there was a pulp which was a merit uh, a merit uh, I believe fantasy and he had oh, absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, it was just
1: named for him
0: (laughs) it was just named for him he had nothing to do with it he never had a story appear in it he didn't edit it it was just named for him and so we will be reading burn witch burn for our next episode which is tuesday december 20th just in time for christmas let's burn witches
1: I mean, it's a little late for October. if We really want to think of all of that, but
0: now. Nothing says so the holidays like throwing a witch on the yule log.
1: This is where we're not talking about the, uh, DCC adventures, right? Right. But, but to be sure. <laughs> like last year's Burn holiday month.
0: Definitely a, a creepy story. And there is a tradition of, of ghost stories and creepy stories at Christmas. And, uh and so there is that and what and and uh recent goodie winner judge eric young asks and Ah. what do we burn beside witches we burn wood and witches are made of wood meritomania yes yes
1: that's that's so much better thank you
0: (laughs) i liked a meritocracy
1: no (laughs) i mean okay maybe it was a bad choice on my part um
0: Yes, yes, I was, but you're stuck with me now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will let everyone else decide. uh, You know, maybe next month you guys can start hitting us up with your choices for different authors, etc. You can also email us with suggestions on books to cover for future months.
0: And I have uh, into the chat, I have dropped the link for Burn Witch Burn on Project Gutenberg, although you are more than welcome to get your own very nice, hard copy of, of the book because it's merit. And while merit stuff is certainly a little hard to find you, in physical bookstores, <laughs> it is not difficult to find on um,
1: Oh, eric we were doing so well
0: merit badges oh i like that i like merit badges mm-hmm. yes might have to make images for, uh, for next week.
1: i i i capitulate yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey look my thesaurus is coming back
0: <laughs> yes yes indeed see now you're you're finally awake so uh
1: Thank just you. in time
0: <laughs> thank you very much for joining us as as a reminder drop us an email to the hub at sanctum.media to get in for our now double drawing uh, copy of house on the borderland and robin wayne bailey's swords against the shadowland which is to my knowledge the first ever licensed fawford and gray mouser story after libra died But not the last, thanks to Tales from the Magician's Skull.
1: Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, Merity Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. I I, I could do that. I could do that.
0: Oh. Oh, Eric. Eric, Eric, Eric. All right, ladies (laughs) and gentlemen, thank you very much for, for joining us this evening for, uh, for another episode of the Sanctum Secorum reading room and uh, pun chamber, apparently. And we will see you all again on Tuesday, December 20th at the same time. Until then, be inspired. Reading Room has been a production of Sanctum Media.